trying to think of a way to illustrate what I, what I want to talk about today. And I actually struggled. I just, I had an idea and I erased it even just this morning. I was like, nah, this is dumb. And then it occurred to me uh, as I was listening to Pastor Aaron this morning that uh, there, was, there was something that, that happened between us. Uh, she won't even remember this. But for those of you who don't know, uh, Aaron and I have known each other since we were six years old. And you'll notice our languages will say things like, we've known each other since we were six years old. We won't say we were best friends since we were six years old because we didn't totally like each other for a while. Um, but <laughs> that came in junior high. Yeah, and that's fine. Uh, but we've known each other since we were six years old. So it's, it's, I don't know if you have, how many of you have a person that's known you that long? I mean, there's your family who's known you that long, but there's, there's something really special about somebody really knowing stuff about you and seeing things in your life that you can't see for yourself because they know you so well. I hope if you're married, your, your relationship with your spouse is like that. They see things and, and, and can, uh, can, can call out things in your life that maybe you might not see on your own. And, uh, and a few, I don't know even how long ago it was, maybe it was a year ago, and I was ranting about something, as you do with a friend, <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes, Aaron will come into my office and would be like, I have to tell you something as a friend. This is not pastoral ministry related, you know. So I was just telling her something. I was like, I, I just am so annoyed because this always happens. And this person always is, I was not talking about Rob, by the way. This, like, this person always does this thing. And like, it's just, I don't even know what it is. And it just like, I couldn't even like, I couldn't even calm down. And I knew I was like, I'm a grown up. I'm a fully grown grown up and I need to calm down. But I was so annoyed by the whole thing. And I can't understand why it just drives me bananas. And then she, she says to me, you know what it is, I think? And I was like, no, I don't. Please tell me what it is. And she's like, you know, when somebody does that, that particular thing, you feel disrespected by that. It's an issue of respect for you. And I was like, that's true. <laughs> I feel completely disrespected by it. And so then I was able to identify what that feeling was in me. And I was able to say, does it matter if this person respects me or doesn't respect me and work through it from a totally different point of view? And sometimes that's what it's like to have somebody in your life who can see you in a way that you can't see yourself or has no, who knows you well enough to be able to see through the ranting and like, you know, allow, hope, do you have a person in your life that you can rant to sometimes? I hope you do. I pray that for you. It's just a good thing. Um, and, and, and to be able to speak truth also in that moment. Do you remember that conversation? Okay, good. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> I grew through it so much, so thank you. Uh, but to have somebody who can really see even through what you're saying or what you're yelling about or what you think you're feeling or what you think you're experiencing and to see something else. But the, the problem is in so much of our lives, we, we don't have that in so many ways because I, I think that in a lot of, a lot of times, this is like that experience with Aaron was, was not an, it's not an everyday thing because a lot of times so many people will just say they feel invisible. That the people in your life just don't get you. Even the ones who you love the most and who love you the most, you just sometimes just feel like you just can't find a way to express what's going on in your heart. You, you just feel like they assume something about you and you think, like, what's that song? If you don't know me by now, you will never, never, never know me. That's an, older, that's an old song, right? Is that like the 80s? Like, I don't even know. That just came out of my spirit. I don't know where that came from. But you know how you feel that way sometimes? You're just like, even with the people you love the most, you sometimes just feel like you, you just, they don't know, they just don't get you still after all this time. This is actually a really classic romantic movie plot point. 
It's always the girl saying to the boy, you don't even see me. You just don't even see me. And you're like, you know what? I know he doesn't see you. Like, whatever. That's the moment. And I think it's pretty sobering to realize that in your life, if you've had those moments, that the truth is, no matter how many years Aaron and I are friends, no matter how long I'm married to Rob, uh, no matter how long I have these relationships in my life, I am the only one who really knows what's going on in my mind, who hears my thoughts, who can read my motivations, and that is probably a good thing, right? Um, and even at that, like I was just sharing in that story, even, even though I'm the only one who knows what's going on in my mind right now, what I'm thinking about all you people, whether or not I think it's hot or cold in the room, like that's a personal thing I'm feeling right now. <laughs> I see Lenore fanning you back there. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. <laughs> She sees you, Walt. She truly sees you. Uh, like, what's going on? We don't always even, we're not even able always to be self-aware. Sometimes we need an outside voice. We need that outside person because there's so much, we're so complex in our thinking and our feeling and all, that we are, all the ways that we are made. We often don't even know what we don't even know about ourselves. And so the question from the scriptures today I want to pose is, are we doomed to live a life of misunderstanding from others and from ourselves, never being able to escape some form of loneliness, of feeling like no one will ever understand me? And the, the truth is, we will probably continue to experience some of that feeling in different areas of our lives, in different relationships, because we're, we're talking about being in relationship with ourselves, a broken person, and other people who are also broken like us. But when it comes to who we truly are in Christ, I think the answer from Scripture is a resounding no. You are not doomed to a life of misunderstanding and loneliness. From the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, we have focused on two of the reasons that we are secure and not insecure as we live this life in Christ, this phrase that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again, especially in Ephesians. First, we talked about that we are chosen by God very intentionally. And secondly, we talked about the fact that we have hope. And now into the second chapter of this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, we can use this statement, which is our title this morning, I am seen. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're with us in the Version Bible app, you can go to more and then events, and then you can find this already loaded up there for you, including a link to the songs we sang this morning, including a link to Pastor Dell's course, Get Secure, which I'm going to be quoting from in just a little bit here, uh, including a link to Church Online if you want to share that with someone. There's a lot in there. Just go another reason to be uh, fully free to use your phone this morning. So let's go Ephesians chapter 2. The first 10 verses in this section say... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Holy Spirit, help us to learn from your word this morning, and take these words deeply into our hearts, in Jesus' name. There is something that keeps happening in Paul's writing, in Ephesians and in other places. Uh, Paul is sort of famous for this, but you really catch it here in Ephesians. This passage is no exception. He sort of begins sentences and then he never finishes them. He begins with one construction and he halfway through his sentence, he glides into some other one. William Barclay says it like this. Paul is pouring out his heart and the claims of grammar have to give way to the wonder of grace. It's just one big run-on sentence that you would get in trouble for if you wrote an essay like that for school. And it's like, to me, when you, I read it from this point of view, it's like the more he says, the more he realizes he wants to say. And once again, like I've said before, these words, these words tumble out over one another, and they give us yet another incredibly beautiful passage of Scripture. And all through these verses, you hear Paul switching between you and us, you and us, you were this and we were this, and all of this kind of language back and forth in these first 10 uh, verses of this chapter. It's likely that the you that he refers to, is he's using the word you to refer to the Gentiles who he's writing to, and the us refers to Paul and the other Jews who were with him, or maybe just in general, the Jews and Gentiles as two groups of people, and uh, something like that. It might even just be you Ephesians and us who are not from Ephesus, something like that. But there's these two groups of people, again, probably Jews and Gentiles, especially if you can, if you look, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll see what the next section is all about, about how God has reconciled these two groups. So probably that. So he's, he's creating these two groups and, and he's, he's creating a distinction and saying, you were this and you were that and we were this and we were that. And he's saying, like, it doesn't matter what group you're in. Both of us, both groups, were in a terrible place before Christ. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter whether you're a part of the Jewish people or not. We were all in a terrible state before Jesus came. Verses 1 to 3 really paint a bleak picture. And and that bleak picture is made worse by the fact that we don't even know, we didn't even know how bad it is when we are living in it. That's the idea here that Paul is trying to get across. He says that we are dead in our sins and transgressions. Sin uh, literally meaning that we are shooting to hit a target and miss every day. We just keep missing the target, missing the target. Transgression or trespass, depending on how it's uh, translated, means to slip or to fall. To take a wrong road, like kind of to fall off the road when we could have chosen to, to do otherwise. And, and so this idea of, of shooting and missing a target, this idea of choosing the wrong path and, and continually slipping and falling. This is why sin is so universal because all of us can look at our lives and say, yeah, I mean, there have been times, I can't deny it, that I have failed to hit the target of life. I don't like when I'm called a sinner. It's not my favorite thing to be called, but I can't deny that I... I shoot for the target and miss all the time. And that I'm constantly making decisions on my own that, that 
that are just the wrong road to take. We do this over and over in our lives. We can't deny that sin is so universal. It doesn't matter what group you're from, Paul's saying. Verse 2 says that we follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That is a serious statement. That is what we were doing before we decided to follow Jesus. That's the description of it. It's, it's quite a description. It, it basically points to a whole a social value system which holds people captive. It's the system that tells us that we are free, but really we are slaves to ourselves. We are ruled by the enemy's world systems. You can see the enemy's world systems at work all around us. Um, in, in all of the things you see, I mean, just, just name something in this world, political oppression, secular thinking, immorality, materialism, poverty, discrimination, um, injustice of all in all of its forms. So much of this is prevalent. This is the enemy's world system that we see at play everywhere we look. And bluntly put here is that when we are not surrendered to God, if we are not in Christ, then we are controlled by the evil one. One of the commentators said it like this, this doesn't mean that non-Christians realize that their values are created and energized by Satan. In fact, most would probably deny it. Nevertheless, Satan, in his craftiness, places things in front of us that we, in our sinful condition, find attractive and therefore pursue as though they were our ideas. Paul's like, you need, just before we get into the next piece, which is super good news, I need you to know where you have come from. And I need you to understand it doesn't have anything to do with your religious background, what people group, what ethnicity you're from, none of that, none of that matters. When verse 2 says that uh, this spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient, it literally means that we were sons of disobedience. That would be the most literal translation of that. We were, in fact, born into disobedience, that we are uh, living what we know because that's how we were born. And so we were just walking out disobedience to God as that we, we call original sin or our sinful nature. This is who we were before Christ. And this is a little bit of a side note, but something that, oh my goodness, like, like struck me as I was studying this. I learned that the word disobedient and unbeliever are so closely linked that sometimes the New Testament uses unbeliever when the Greek says disobedient and vice versa. And why did this, why did this strike me? Because it said that when I disobey God, it is as though I am an unbeliever. I am choosing to uh, not obey what God has asked me to do, and so therefore I am living as though I don't believe. That's, that's how closely it was linked in the Greek. It was linked in their thinking. It was linked for the early church. And the, the point, of course, here is that that's who you used to be. When you were disobedient to God, when you were rebellious against his ways, when you didn't care about him, uh, you were an unbeliever. You were disobedient. You were literally a son of disobedience. I don't want to ruin the ending, guys, but it gets better from here, but I don't want to get there just yet. And so these first couple of verses paint a clear picture of what it means to have a life without Jesus. And these verses don't pull any punches. I hope they make you just a little bit uncomfortable. It says you are... You were living in the way the culture lives. 
living under the rule of the prince of the air or the devil, living in disobedience to God, you were an unbeliever, believer, living at the mercy of and following your own desires or what we would call the flesh. And the flesh is human nature without God. And you were living a life that deserves the wrath of God. I don't think Paul was trying to make this easy, because it certainly isn't. It's heavy. That's a very heavy, sobering picture. The person who is humble enough to accept this reality, that this spiritual reality is true, probably finds themselves, like Paul does in Romans chapter 7, with the cry, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? from this life that is dominated by sin and death. When you really look at who you were before Christ, I mean, that's how we all came to Christ, with an idea that we had to humble ourselves and realize what state we were really in and how desperately we needed to be saved. In our natural condition, we are under the judgment of God Don't worry, though, because we have verse 4. But God broke in. Just following this idea. But because of his great love for us, God, it says, verse 4a. But God, who is rich in mercy, 4b. Or 5a, but God, who made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. This this concept of but God then applies to all of these ideas that come after it. Pastor Dell says in Get Secure, but God. Let those words ring loud and clear in your mind and on your lips. Remind yourself often that God loves you so much that he refused to give up on you until you opened your life to him. You were stuck in an impossible predicament, but God kept loving you, kept being merciful to you, and ultimately transformed you. In Christ, you are now a living testimony of God's love in action, but God. And so I'm going to interpret that just a little bit today based on how we started and say, you are seen. And not like... You are seen because you're so awesome, and you are awesome, and you know I love you. And, that's true, and, without Christ, all of those descriptions of of us were true. And God saw you there, and he sees you now. He sees you uh, from the before you were even born. And for sure, sin is universal, and depravity extends to all of our human thought and our actions, but it never, never, never eclipses the worth and value of humanity, of you and of me, created in the image of God. All of us, believer or not, have enormous value and enormous capability because we are created in the very image of our creator. And so, despite us being dead in sin, despite us being born into sin, being born as sons of disobedience, Despite all of that, God always finds someone worth loving and someone worth rescuing all the time. You are seen. You have been seen, and he sees you today. Against the bleak backdrop of the hopelessness of the non-Christian, we talked about that last week. There's something flying in front of my face. 
Paul has amazing news here. That God's mercy flows out of his great love for us. And he has done three really important things. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. I mean, I don't know if this is really hitting you this morning. It's okay. Just take some time to absorb it. But I want you to just think about how different that is than what we just read about who we were before Christ. Seated with him in the heavenly realms is a very, very different place than someone who is under the wrath of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? To be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms is is like a figure of speech that means that God considers us worthy and destined to be seated with Christ in heaven when we get there. And not just that, because in fact, we already exercise power with Christ over the powers of this age. All those things you read about in those first few verses. All of that is true in what's going on around us, but that is not who our Lord and Savior, that's not who our Master is, and that's not who we get our power from. We live in a different kingdom. We are now citizens of a different kingdom, the one that we are getting ready someday on the other side of eternity to sit with Christ and rule and reign with him forever. It's a very, very different picture, church. So we can live lives right now that reflect Christ's kingdom, not Satan's, because we, okay, this is a new sweater, and it's fuzzing out everywhere all around me. Can you see it from there? No? Yes? Okay. Maybe it depends how close you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work super hard to ignore it from now on. I just had to say, I'm struggling, so pray for me. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's so warm in here I should take my sweater off. Is that, what's, that what should happen? <laughs> no. No. One commentator says it like this. God is not an onlooker in the salvation pro- process. Or is he in an angry huff, waiting to be appeased? Rather, he is the primary actor, the one who by his love deals with his own wrath and shows mercy to his people. We were under the wrath of God, and God is, I love this phrase, God is not in an angry huff waiting for us to figure out how to be better. He dealt with his own wrath by sending Jesus for us. I love how verse 7 describes God. He's kind. I love that word. His love is a verb. No, I will not sing a DC Talk song for you, but you know I want to. His his love, it, it, it shows us by what Christ has done how much he just genuinely cares about you and about me. This is why Romans 2, 4 says that we are able to repent. We are able to come to that place where we can be humble because God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's his kindness that brings you there. Friend, he sees you. All of you. He knows every part of you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to rescue you. And this might be old news to you. Can I ask you, if this is old news to you, can you make it brand new again today? Because this is the source of your life. If this is brand new news to you today, I want to invite you to just accept that this is actually and legitimately true. He wants to be in relationship with you. He's done all of this so that that could happen and you are invited because he already sees you and he's already provided for that through what he's done. So God has done his part. He's the initiator of all of this. He's the primary actor in this. He's given grace. 
Our part is faith in this incredibly good news. We are saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. The tense of that verb save points to a past event. So we had a moment where we said, Jesus, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. Save me. Come and be my savior and my Lord. But that verb also says like it was, a, it was a moment in time. It was an event, but it also has continuing results. That's the way it's written in the Greek. It's something that has occurred and is currently being experienced by those who are now in Christ by that decision. And, and in scripture, you hear this described in so many ways. There's no single image. There's no single word that can define and describe what has happened in this transaction. Sometimes we, we point to pieces of it by calling it justification or salvation or redemption or reconciliation or freedom or so many other ways that we describe what happened. All of them on their own, though, inadequate to, to explain the reality of what God worked for us. There's just there's so much in that simple decision. And that would be enough, wouldn't it? it? But that would be enough just to be saved from that terrible place that we were in, just to be able to be brought and to be considered by God worthy, to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms like forever for eternity. That would be enough, but we're not done yet. We haven't even gotten to verse 10 which then says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or as the ESV says, I actually I love this, um, for we are his workmanship. This is a, maybe a little more close to the original language. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for his good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God saw you, and he prepared for your arrival on earth. Before you knew him, before you knew anything about him, before you were even born, he chose you, and he gave you a good path to walk in. You are fully seen. Regardless of what the relationships in your life are like, by God, you are fully, fully seen. A piece of art... This is, this, this is the, sometimes it'll be translated as you are God's masterpiece. Because uh, that's like, that's kind of the idea of this word here. And you think about what that means, that a, like a masterpiece, a piece of art is recognizable as the work of the artist. There are some artists that have such a distinct style that you can see their art. And I'm not a huge art person, but there are even some artists that I see their work and I would know it was them. You can probably think of Picasso as one, right? You see... Like, uh, you, you see some Van Gogh, and you'd be like, that's Van Gogh. I know that painting, you know. Or uh, I was thinking about this because I, <laughs> I was reading some books, uh, a, a novel, and they were focused on the art of Emily Carr, you know, the Canadian painter, with all the, the trees and the totem poles and the swirling and all the things. And, you know, there are some artists that you just look at their work and you think, oh, yeah, that's absolutely them. That absolutely is that person's work. I know it just by seeing it. That's the idea here, that if, if, there was a, uh, if you put all of God's people or you put all people in a lineup, God's children should be recognizable. Like, like the way that you can tell a child belongs to their parent because they look like their parent. But of course, this, the idea here isn't, isn't biological children. What was what, that we learned in, in chapter one? 
that we are adopted into God's family, right? And so in the case of adoption, I mean, my family is the best example of this. My kids don't look like me. You might, not, you might know that if you've met them. Um, it's okay. I just feel nervous. Uh, we're white and our kids are black, and it's okay to say that because that's just true, but what's true? And they don't look anything like us. Uh, but if you met my kids and you got to know them, you might think to yourself, they act a little bit like Robin Tracy. <laughs> For the good, bad, or ugly, that's the truth. So it's not, a, not necessarily about a physical resemblance, though you obviously see that in biological children. I'm talking about there are things in your kids that look like you, mannerisms that they take on that are like you, that have so much more to do with nurture rather than nature. That's the picture here. That as you're adopted into God's family, if you were just like, if you were just out in the world, you should be recognizable as a transformed work of art by your, by your father. That you can, people can see who the artist of your life is because you're walking in the ways that he has already prepared for you to do. And this isn't because like you're in a special group and everybody else is in, a, like, is in a bad group. No, everyone's invited to be in this group where we walk in these ways that the artist, that the creator, that the, that the, the master has already prepared. And, and you start to look and sound and be recognized by the work of the artist himself in your life. That's what transformation looks like. Do my kids look like me? No. Do they act like me? I hope only in the good things. <laughs> but yes, often. Like when a child is recognized as belonging to their parent, as you well know, it can be a good or bad thing. Sometimes they pick up things from us that we wish they wouldn't. But I got to tell you, when we are recognized as belonging to our perfect father, it is always good. He is perfect in every way. So when we are recognized as belonging to him, it's always a good thing. Pastor Dell says, in a world full of evil and spiritual darkness, the light of good deeds of Christ's followers shines brightly for all to see and puts a spotlight of attention on God himself. Good works cannot save you, but they do show that you are saved and involved in Christ's work. The world needs you to point the way to God. Your gospel message becomes credible by doing good for the sake of others. Before people listen to what you say, they want to see what you do and why. They will consider the good news about God's love when it is demonstrated through you. And here's what's cool. I mean, that's really, like, what a, what a privilege. But all of this was set up for you before you knew it. Think about where you were before Christ. Think about where you are now in Christ. And consider the path to where you are going as you continue in him. So church, regardless of any other place or space in your life, where you just don't feel seen or known, that's going to continue in this broken, fallen world. Jesus sees you and he knows you. And not just today. He knew you before you knew him. He knew you before you were born. And not even just like a passing knowledge that you might someday in 2023 be sitting here in this place. But there were things that the Lord prepared in advance for you to do. That's how well he knows you inside and out. You are fully seen and fully known in every way. 
So I thought about how to respond to this as, as a church this morning. What do you do with this kind of knowledge? What do you do with this kind of blessing? How do you get this to sink down deep? And um, as I was reading through the Get Secure course, as I've been quoting from it a little bit this morning, at the end of every chapter in the Get Secure course, there are um, what Pastor Dell calls Get Secure Responses. Some things like some action items, some things to work through on your own as you go through um, particular parts of the book of Ephesians. And I thought they were just really, all of them are, and I just thought we would use them this morning so you get a taste of what this might be like to apply this to your life. So here is your get secure response, as it's called, to this incredible truth that you are seen and you are known and you are loved. The first one is this, to remind yourself regularly of where God has brought you from and where you are today. And thank him every time you think about it. Can we just pause on that one right there? You don't have, I mean, if Matt comes and plays a song, it's somehow easier for us to worship. I don't know. That, that, that shouldn't be true. But can we just pause right there? Can you, I have known the Lord my whole life. I, I don't have like a, a testimony of, of being set free from addiction or, or something like that. But I'll tell you what, when I look at my life today and I look at my life five years ago, he has brought me a mighty long way. He continually points out things in my life and changes things in my life and doesn't allow me to be complacent when I look to him. He has come and he's met me at the darkest parts of my day and my year and my season that I'm in. He has come and he has brought the most incredible joys in my life. He has brought me things like, like answers to questions that I had and he has done things in ways I couldn't have understood. And most of all though, I mean, those are all incredible added bonuses, but most of all, I am just not the same as I was when I was 20 or 25 or 30. I just, I know him more. I can hear his voice more clearly. He has taught me so much. He has pointed out so much in me. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like it. But I'm different now because I'm not afraid to face things that I was afraid to face. Like there's just, I can't even, I don't even know. Like when, like, I don't even know. I have said to people so much in the last year and a half. You know this stuff we talk about on Sunday. It's for real. Like, it's for real transforming in your life. And, and so if I, we sing a song like, like Matt was leading, like uh, Firm Foundation, like, I've still got joy and chaos. I got peace that makes no sense. I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength because I put my faith in Jesus, not me. I'm a disaster, but Jesus is not. And so he walks with me on a sure path. I mean, I got, we could just stop right here. I don't know what that story is for your life. Some of you have some really like incredible dramatic stories and, and all of those things and you have, I don't know, and I just know some of you have some crazy stories and some of you have stories that are the, the, like not so much, they're like, I don't, I don't know if I have a testimony. Friend, if you are in Christ, your testimony is unbelievably great. And so never let go of that. And I want you to right now, hopefully as I'm yelling about my own life, you're saying, yeah, that's true of my life too. Could you say amen if it is? That is true of my life. And so every time it comes to our minds, we, th we thank God. I have like a, oh, I'll do it again. You're welcome. The second one is work at keeping everything you do with your life in context of God's purpose for you so that you will stay kingdom focused. Make a list of current situations and do this exercise. 
I should have brought pen and paper with you for me today. What are the things in, what are, like, what is even going on in your life right now? When you make decisions every day, when you fill your schedule for the week, when you decide what activities you're doing as a family, when you consider opportunities or even um, suffering, different things that are going wrong around you, can you put those things in context of God's purpose for you? If God really did see you before you were born and, and, and you really are his masterpiece and you really are showing him off to the world around you, then, and, and he prepared in advance good works for you so that you could walk in them, what does that mean on Tuesday? Think about your life. Think about the decisions you're making. Think about if you can frame them for the fact that you have things that God has planned in advance for you that you would walk in them? Are you focused on those things and, and listening and asking him first before you're making those decisions? The third one is when you find yourself in a difficult situation, say the words, but God, as an act of faith and talk to God about your need of his divine intervention. Are you facing one of those today? Are you able in faith to look at your situation and say, I literally don't know how this is ever going to be resolved, but I hear, the, I hear the word of the Lord, I hear it, but God. God has already done all of this for me. There is nothing in my life that he can't touch. There's nothing that he can't intervene with. There's nothing he can't do. We have so many scriptures that remind us of this, how incredibly powerful he is and how interested he is in your life and, 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 and walking with you in every single thing. I don't know what it is that you need for that today, but could you, as an act of faith over whatever you're facing right now, say, but God, this is where my faith is. He is my firm foundation. He won't fail. <laughs> That's how I think about it all the time now since we learned that song. He won't fail, but God in my circumstance. Next one is during times that you are frustrated with your less than perfect attitudes and actions. I don't know who you were writing this for. Yourself, I guess, hey? Your less than perfect attitudes and actions, Pastor Dell. Remind yourself that God is not finished working on you and you will get better at it. And this is not because you're awesome. Because, again, I love you and you are. But this is because as you surrender to Christ and you learn to rely on his strength for you, it gets easier. We're talking about being insecure in this. I've got to tell you, I, I, I mentioned this as we first started. We're going to talk more about it as we keep going. But uh, I am concerned with the level of insecurity I see all around me. Our responses to everything come out of our insecurity so much. I mean, in every way, shape, and form. And the scriptures teach us that that is just not a necessary, reasonable, or needed response from a Christ follower. These, these are just, this is just not who we are. And so we will make mistakes, but I promise you that as you continue to lean into Christ, that those things that make you 
that like shrink on the inside with insecurity, that as you continue to say, I, I see that, I recognize it, I'm giving that to Jesus, that will get easier for you and easier for you and you'll recognize it sooner and sooner because the enemy who is, is, uh, is just against you in every way and continually brings these things to poke at your deepest insecurities, it's not just me, right? He just pokes at the things that your deepest insecurities, you can recognize it and say, ah, yes, but God in my life. I'm going to give that to Jesus. I can't, I can't fix that. I can't deal with that. I can't worry about that. I won't pick that up. But God, I am in Christ. I'm going to respond out of my relationship with him and in no other way. And I promise you that as you practice that in your life, it gets easier over time and you will get better at recognizing and releasing that to Jesus. But you do have to apply yourself to it. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week about... Uh, no, you're going to preach next week. And then I'm going to talk about that the week after. And then lastly, constantly keep your eternal perspective in view. And you will add to your sense of security because you know who you are and what your purpose, what purpose your life has in Christ. Church, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. That you need to be sure that it doesn't, ma- like, it doesn't matter what the, what the world throws at you. It doesn't matter what the enemy tries to bring against you. That you can say, oh, well, that would be unfortunate, but I'm okay because I'm in Christ. And I'm looking towards heaven, and I know what I'm aiming at, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. I'm going to be okay even if the circumstances around me are not okay from any other kind of perspective. I know who I am. I know who holds me. I know where my actual security comes from. I know where my identity is found. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in order for that to be true in your life. Those are great uh, get secure responses, eh? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to let any and all of these things sink in. whether we need to remind ourselves where God has brought us from, whether um, it is that we need to think about a, a particular circumstance in our life that we need to refocus on the kingdom, whether we're in a difficult situation and we need to use those words in faith, but God, whether you're frustrated with just feeling like, man, I, I, I just don't feel like I'm making any progress. I, 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 I just keep making the same mistakes, reminding ourselves that God is not finished with us, and we will get better at it, or, or just this, just in general, keeping that perspective of, of the kingdom, of eternity, and of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing where our identity and our security comes from. I don't know which one of those, or maybe a couple of them that the Holy Spirit might be pointing out in your life, but these are things that should be true of the person who knows Jesus and is in Christ. And I would be remiss this morning if I didn't say to you, some people have been going to church for a long time and have never encountered the Jesus that I'm talking about. And that's not to be, I don't say that to shame you. I say that to invite you. You would not be alone in that. If you feel like this idea of Jesus is like kind of a, like it's kind of out there, it's not a personal thing for you, I want to invite you this morning that to know that all of the stuff I'm talking about can be true of you that it's, it's not too late. Maybe you've been around a long time. 
Maybe your, your Christian life, you're just like, I don't even, I don't know Jesus like that. I don't know Jesus like that. I just want to tell you, he knows you. He sees you. And he really is just waiting for you to come and just like get to know him. Some of that is your own response, opening your heart to him and surrendering to him. So why don't we stand together? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and Matt's gonna just, Matt and the team can just help us to take a moment to pause and reflect and invite him to do a work in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you come? Oh, we know that you're here and you're working because you promised you'd be here as we gathered in your name and we have Jesus, but we just invite you, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus. We, we intentionally just pray that to make ourselves aware of the work that you are here to do. For every person who feels lonely and lost and unseen, Holy Spirit, come and show them that they are anything but that. Relationships may have made them feel that way. Other people, circumstances, but that they are always seen and always safe and always loved by their creator, the one who actually knows them inside and out. No hiding, nothing that's not revealed, all of who we are and, and so loved and cherished by you. For those of us who have, there are things that need to be released, things that we need to trust you for and in faith say, but God, we know you can or things that we are making decisions that are anything but kingdom focused, anything that have to do with the good works that you plan in advance for us that we would walk in them. We just have gotten off track, Lord. Help us to come back on track. Show us what we need to do. For those of us who are far from you. We know about you, but we just are far from you. We believe in you, Jesus, but we don't feel like we know you. Spirit of Jesus, would you come and, and do, in our, do in us what, I mean, I can't, I don't even know how to pray for that. Holy Spirit, come and reveal yourself. I pray that every heart would be soft and receptive to whatever it is that you would want us to take deeply into our in, into that transforming work to allow you to do that work in us today whatever it is holy spirit come and do in us what you want to do come and speak what you would speak we surrender with hands open lives surrendered come lord jesus Come, Lord Jesus.